Have you ever wanted to raise your hand and ask a question during the Sunday morning sermon? Are you looking for a place to find real hope? Join us on the Real Life Living in the Here and Now podcast as we tackle life's most unwelcomed questions and learn to live free and real. Each week, we'll take on a subject that cuts through the hype and deals with the hurt and brokenness everyone has but doesn't know where to begin. And now let's join our host as we get real with ourselves, with God, and with you. On the podcast today, we're going to hear a sermon called Longing for God. Psalm chapter 42, you there? Say amen. 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 Let me find where I'm at here because I just bought a new parallel Bible here. For the choir director, this is a psalm of the descendants of Korah. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night have only tears for food while my enemies continually taunt me saying, Where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mazar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas and your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. O God, my rock, I cry, why have you forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones, they scoff, Where is this God of yours? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. I want to speak on longing for God this morning. And and if you wouldn't mind, I really need your prayers. Amen. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we need you today, God. Lord, we need your anointing. Father, I just pray that you would just speak to our hearts today. Speak to us what it means to long for you, God, to, to, to desire you, Father, like we are supposed to, Father. We just pray that you would begin a work here today that would continue until you return. And, Father, we ask it all in the name of Jesus. Everybody says amen. Now, David, of course, wrote this psalm, and he writes this psalm while he's in Jordan. He's a great way from the courts or the, the tabernacle of the Lord. He was in a forced absence from the Ark of the Covenant. Many said he was fleeing from Saul and the, the presence of God. And he literally, he wept for it. It is said he was more likely fleeing from his life while he was there. And, you know, sometimes God teaches us to know the worth of his mercies by the want of them. You don't know what it means to, to need mercy until you're in a place where you need mercy. You know, we are apt to to hoard up manna when there's plenty of it, but it will be very precious to us if we ever come to know the scarcity of it. You don't long for something that 
that you have an abundance of necessarily. You don't, you don't necessarily uh, pant for water when you aren't even thirsty. So sometimes God puts us in a place of longing, in a place where that, that we can begin to, to be hungry and to be thirsty. The, the problem is in the American church, this doctrine has creeped in that is taught that there is no suffering in, in the Christian life. There, there is no hardships and there is no want and there is no lack. And, and, and all of that is, is simply a lie. There are going to be times in your life where that you are going to be in a place that you literally ache for the presence of God. You're going to be put in a place where you have no other choice but to depend upon God because everything else you put your trust in has been stripped away from you. Your health is failing. You've lost your job. Your marriage is on the rocks. And you've done everything that you know to do. But something inside of you begins to ache and begins to long as David did for the presence of God. Not the feeling of God being around, but the person of God. See, the problem is we have, we have created this, this, I don't know, this persona in the church that we've made the presence of God about a feeling, about an emotion, about an experience, but the presence of God is simply what he brings with him in his personhood. Amen? You see, when, when I'm away from my wife, I long to be in her presence. From the moment that God spoke to me and told me that she was the one I was to marry, I can't go more than a few minutes, Odie, without wanting to be where I can talk to her and touch her. And, and if we're home and she's in the other room too long, I go looking for her because I don't want just the feeling I get when I'm around her. I want to look at her. I want to talk to her. I want to, I want to ex experience what it is to be with her. You see, before the psalmist went on to establish all the doubts and all the fears and the grief that he had, he set his heart on God. He said, my heart pants for you as a deer that pants for the water books. David understood this because he literally lived in the wild as a shepherd. He was put out there to die by his family and he knew what it was like to long for God. He didn't have anybody else. If you were here and heard my sermon on who's your daddy, if you have it, you need to listen to it. On what David, when, when you understand the context of what David writes about God and understood that it was written out of a heart of brokenness and rejection and abandonment, out of a man that learned what it meant to worship God without music, without lights and without drums, but all alone out in the wilderness when animals were trying to consume him and he had nobody else to affirm him. He had nothing but God. Would to God we would get to that place in our life where that we long to be with him in his presence. Before David goes through his list of all the problems he has, he says, I thirst for you, God, the living God. He's not a dead God. He's not a God that you buy and put on a shelf. He's alive today. That means that he has emotions and feelings and senses like you. You were made in his image. 
God longs also to be with you. To experience you. To know how you, the Bible says he's touched with the feelings. God experiences feelings. He experiences joy, anger, happiness, sadness. He, all the things you experience, God wants to experience those things with you. When you're broken hearted, God the Holy Spirit is broken hearted with you. And he walks with you through those things. That's what I love about God, Hody. I love that, that God didn't stay in heaven and tell us how to do it. He came down and he became it to solve our problems. Oh, that's what I love. What other, what other religion has that? What other religion even dares to, to speak about a God that would leave heaven and come down and live like you and I and die on a sinner's cross for us? Oh, I love that about God. I love that about God. You see, notice he doesn't pant for the ordinances of God, but the God of the ordinances. He didn't long for the music or all the other things that happened during his time in the tabernacle. He longs for God himself. True worship is not an event. David longed for God even in captivity, even when he couldn't be in church. Even when there was no music. Not only that, he was in a place surrounded by his enemies. We've made God's presence the place to go for all the goodies. Now stop me if I'm wrong, but how many times have you heard this? And I've done it. Come on, let's praise God. He's going to do something. Come on, let's worship God a little harder. He wants to do something for you. God spoke to me one day. He said, is it okay if I come and do nothing? Can I come and just be there? When we got married, me and my wife, I lived in the same holler my whole life. And when I moved to London, I bet we moved eight or nine times. Every time I moved, I lost friends. The, the phone list of people that would help me move got shorter and shorter. The last time I hired somebody, I said, you all do it all and keep my stuff in storage so I'm ready for it. Why? There was nobody else left that had a good enough back to help me move. So how do you think God feels when all we do is use worship as a way to manipulate him and get all the goodies? Every time we come in, we come in with the, the, object, the, 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 the goal of I'm going to praise God, but in the back of my mind, I have an ulterior motive. I just want you to do something for me. You know, I haven't prayed this week, and God forbid if I read my Bible, but God, because my hands are lifted up and I shake a little bit, I want you to fix all my problems. But what would happen if we begin to long for God just for God? <laughs> even if he never done anything for you, even if you died of that disease that you have, but you longed for him just to be with him, not to have your problems solved or your job back or your anything back, just God for God. Our worship is turned into nothing more than a means to an end. 
just a way to manipulate God into doing us favors. Worship is not what you do. It's who you are. Hallelujah. When was the last time you stood in your house with nobody around and lifted your hands and worshiped him? When was the last time that at work you had to get off somewhere by yourself because you were so moved in your spirit from the longing just to be with God? When was the last time that you weren't even capable of holding a conversation with somebody because inside of you all you could think of was I gotta be with him. If I could just touch him, if I could just be in his presence and look upon his face one more time, we need to get to the point that we are absolutely worthless to this world because we're so focused on God. Oh God, help me preach this this morning. Help me God. Our sincerity of worship is often related to our mood or our circumstances. We come in, we're in a good mood. Everything's going good. We have a red hot service. Completed with somersaults and a back half spring off to otter. Everything's good. But you let something mess up our little world. You let something not go our way. And we come in here, we sit down with our arms folded. Not only that, we do it at home. We don't want to worship God. All we want to do is complain and murmur. Let me tell you something. Every time your heart is beating since we've been in here today, he did that. Every breath that you breathe since we've been in this building, my father gave you that. What more does he have to do to show you that he loves you? Oh, thank you, Father. But not David. David wasn't like that. David was, he was somebody that understood rejection and abandonment. He knew loneliness and heartache like no other. He knows what the heart of worship is. He is literally, after all, after God's heart. I've heard that scripture taken out of context my whole life. Well, David was like God. The Bible didn't say that. The Bible says he was after God's heart. Well, it doesn't mean David was like God. We're all made in the image of God. David was literally pursuing the heart of God. I'm after the heart of God. He was courting God. He pursued God. He set his love and affection on God in loneliness and despair and good times and bad times. He set his heart on God. He was after God's heart. He didn't just want the goodies. He didn't just want the position. He wanted God. He wanted God's heart. He wanted to know how God felt. He wanted to know when God breathed and when he sighed and, and what God felt he wanted to experience. Mm. He was after God's heart. Are you after his heart this morning? David is pursuing God as you would the love of your life. He's courting God to win his love. He's pouring out his love on God. The sole purpose of obtaining God himself. Nothing else. You see, before you see David as king, why do you think God would take a king? Why would you think he would take somebody out of a shepherd's field that's been rejection, rejected and abandoned and despised by everybody? Why would God take somebody like that and set them up as king? Because that's what God's looking for when he's looking for somebody he can use. God doesn't care about your abilities or your education. I've met a lot of people that's been educated beyond their intelligence, honey. I, you know, you start out dumb and you get smart, but if it keeps going, you get dumb again. 
You know, people like that. God isn't looking for that. He's looking for somebody that's after his heart. Not like God, after God. There's some of you in here today that think you've already disqualified yourself. You've already said, I don't have what it takes. I can never do this and that. But you got a heart after God. Hallelujah. David longed, longed for God to be with him. Today we're literally worshiping worship. We're programmed to obtain a certain response from our participation in worship or we feel like we've fallen short. We come away from the event of worship with, without obtaining the goodies and we count it as a failure. We've all been there, haven't we? When the service doesn't reach the anticipated level of emotional whatever you want to call it, Somebody's got to get in a pulpit and beat up on you. What's wrong with you? Boy, last night we really had it. What's the matter with you all tonight? You don't want to pray? You know what? No, I don't feel fantastic every day. Don't expect me to run and shout like I used to. I am not physically able to do that. I can't do it. God wants me to do it, bring it on. But unless he makes me, I'm done. Can't do it, Stephen. I'm so fat now, if I tried to run up the wall, I would make a hole in the drywall. If you all don't know that, I used to do crazy stuff like that. I have hit my back on the ceiling. I can't do that no more. I don't want to do that no more. God don't want me to do that no more. I'm not sure he ever wanted me to do that. But when I got saved, I didn't know what to do with myself, Curtis. You took a man that was lost and going to hell and in one moment, in one counter with God, he completely turned my world upside down. And I just don't know about you, I still ain't got over it. I remember when I got saved, I was so excited to die. I said, man, I wish I could die right now. I'm so excited to die. God, I want to be where you are. I just long to be in your presence because before that, I was terrified of going to sleep at night. I was terrified that I'd die and go to hell. But when Jesus came into my life, I said, God, I'm ready to go. Oh, man. Now, Praise the Lord. Let me drink water. Are y'all with me? How much time I got left? I don't say that. All right. David thirsts for a living God. Living souls can never take rest in anything short of a living God. Worship is so powerful. Because it can only be done by created beings. We are the only beings that can give God true worship. We are the only thing created that can choose to set our love and affections on God. The trees do it. The Bible says they clap their hands to the Lord. The animals do it. Angels do it out of duty. We do it out of love. But why are angels so fascinated by man's salvation. The most likely explanation is that they're amazed and astonished by the way that God solved the problem of sin. 
The cross was the means by which God provided His Son as a righteous substitute to pay the penalty for sin while upholding His holy standard. Peter literally said that they looked with amazement at the redemption of any human being that will repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus as Savior. The Bible tells us that such fascination goes on in heaven. The apostle Peter pulled back the curtain and let us peek in a little bit. And he said the angels that were gazing at God's plan of redemption. The Bible said that they, they've seen things which angels desire to look into. That Greek word look into literally means to stoop and look with curiosity. They don't understand it. You don't understand the privilege that you've been given to have a heart that can go after God. They never understand it. They look and they're that part of that great cloud of witnesses and they look with curiosity. Have you ever seen somebody look trying to figure something out, especially tourists? I used to do it all the time. I'd just walk in somewhere and start looking. Then everybody else start looking. I'd walk away. <laughs> I just love messing with people. Thank you for joining the Real Life Podcast. You can subscribe to our program anywhere podcasts are available. Stay up to date by subscribing to our show. Join us again next week as we tackle real life together.